Hello, and welcome to State of Crime. One state, two murders, a whole lot of crime, especially this week. Yeah, we got a lot going on. and Elena. Go. Okay. (laughs) I guess we don't even have any, like, small talk to talk about now. Well, because we got to introduce this last episode where we did talk about a little Mm -hmm. bit, like, the fact that, you know... I cheated. We we cheated. Yes. We did. But you have a lot to bring to it. Because, like, just now in the break, you were telling me a lot of stuff. Like I said, I only used one source for yours. Mm-hmm. And because <laughs> time. Yeah. And, um, but that's the thing that's crazy. Like, when you do these. And I have I didn't even talk about with mine. I did, like, l- look at a couple of other sources. And it is crazy how much variation you find. Mm-hmm. And you just kind of have to go, okay, this is the one I'm going to go with. I mean, if we had tons of time to really, you know, to deep dive into the research and yeah. do a better job at confirming sources, that might, you know, that probably make things better. But that's the thing that's kind of frustrating about these. Mm-hmm. And even like, and mine again was the 1930s. So I'm like, okay, of course there's, but yours is, some of this stuff is very recent. Yeah. So, so. We're going to go back to October of 1982. We have 19-year-old Todd Schultz and his 18-year-old fiancé. Well, some say fiancé, some say girlfriend. Most of what I understood was that they weren't formally engaged, but there was a lot of talk about a wedding. Right. They it, were going to get married. Yeah, every because they where they were living mm-hmm. was they were actually living with Todd's mother although Todd slept in one room with his brother and Annette slept in another room with his sister yes you know it sounded like they were trying to be you know quote unquote proper yeah um, but they were looking for a place together yes. Yeah, there was definitely that assumption of, at the very least yes so, so his 18 year old fiance Annette Cooper And like you said, they were living with Todd's mom. And a lot of that was from rumor around town. Mind mind you, they are in a very small town in Logan of Logan, Ohio, which at the time, I believe it was at the time, it was like a 6,000 population. Oh, wow. So a a pretty small town. And there was a lot of rumor going around the town that Annette's stepfather had molested her. Okay, now see, it's interesting you say that because the source that I was looking at for for your case, they made it sound, so they were interviewing Todd's brother quite a bit, one mm-hmm. of his brothers, and he was like, he had never even heard about any of the abuse allegations until after the murder and that his dad kind of confided it in him like well you know the reason she's living at the house is and that he like so a lot of this stuff you don't know like you Mm -hmm. said if it's you know because it's 30 some years on and memories are cloudy but yeah I thought that was kind of weird well and I know that there was an interview done with Todd's mom it was either Todd's mom or Annette's mom one of them (laughs) and the day that Todd and Annette went missing Sandra Schultz, who is Todd's mother, called Annette's mom. And when Annette's mom asked her, like, why is she even staying with mm-hmm. you? She said kind of abruptly, kind of like she it just came out. It was kind of like word vomit where she couldn't really help mm-hmm. it. But she said because he can't keep his hands off her. Okay. So that was before they had known that something sinister had happened. Right. 
So in this this allegation, from what I understand, had gone on for quite some time before the disappearance. Okay, we'll go with that. And so that was everybody's thoughts was that's why she was living with them is because there were allegations of her stepfather molesting her. And so Todd and Annette disappeared one day. They had left the house. They, from what I understand, were arguing a little bit, but then everything had seemed fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the story that I have in the notes there, because the, the thing that I watched is buried in your Buried in the Backyard. It's on the Oxygen Network, and the episode is up on YouTube. The Cassandra was interviewed extensively mm-hmm. in that, too. That she claimed that she was, like, sitting there in the living room or whatever, and she could hear them arguing, and then they kind of came through the house and went outside, and she could kind of see them through a window, and they were still kind of talking. It was in the afternoon. And that she was kind of, you know, like watching, keeping an eye on things. And that Todd kind of waved at her like, it's going to be okay, you know. And that was the last time she saw them. Yeah. So they disappear. And Sandra calls um, Annette's mom. And they're kind of calling around, seeing what they can figure out. And eventually they do call the police and try to do a missing person. Right. And it's not until the next morning. Yes. When, and again, the older brother that was interviewed quite extensively in the... Buried in Your Backyard episode as well, said that he had come over to the house. Now, Todd's parents were separated. Mm-hmm. And so Sandra was living in the house. The dad was living elsewhere. And the older brother came over at like 6 in the morning, went upstairs, noticed that Todd's bed was made, had not been slept in, and then noticed the same for Annette's. For Annette's. Yes. And there... They did, the police did go and they interviewed the people they needed to interview. They tried getting on track with it. And almost immediately, the sheriff, he kind of had honed in on his main suspect because of the rumors floating around town. Okay. Their main suspect was Annette's stepfather. See, and again, that was presented so differently and buried in your backyard. And I think part of it is because two of the law enforcement officers that were kind of the leads on this case were also interviewed quite a bit. And I am very certain that they were trying to downplay that because everything that was said by everyone made it sound like none of those allegations popped up until after the murder and that's when they started looking at the stepdad. Mm. So it's really interesting yeah. the sources and how this was getting spun. So there were once you started getting more once you started getting different people involved. So you've got like the sheriff who had mm-hmm. one theory and then when the FBI gets involved, they had a completely different theory. And then you also have to go into with it being such a small town and rumors flying, everybody kind of has a theory. And it's kind of your stereotypical small town. The sheriff goes by rumor that's happening because he knows his town and all of this. So he kind <laughs> like of... like the Old West. Exactly. He doesn't really want to stray from his thoughts. And then you've got the FBI who are coming in and they're like, I don't even want to hear about the rumors. This is what probably happened. And then you also have people coming in and it was like, Oh, they were say it was a satanic ritual and all of this, but this is also the early '80s, so the satanic panic. Exactly, and there's no 
real evidence to back this the Satanism part no, of it. Satan, and, and like I said, having lived through the time, you know, there were rumors constantly about different satanic cults and satanic groups and you know like there was i don't know like everything was getting tied to that there were a number of books that were published by people who were supposedly satanics you know abuse survivors and that sort of thing so but they were very clear about that too so we'll get to yeah why they made that leap to satanism and again, one of the law enforcement officers said that there was indeed a satanic cult holding um, whatever, you know, rituals or whatever in a nearby forest. Mm. But where the bodies were found, there was nothing that could be tied to that. There was exactly. no altar or there were no symbols or nothing, anything yeah. like that. So. He was still, do you know what I'm saying? Like, he hadn't totally given up that whole thing, but there just wasn't enough evidence with these two particular people. Exactly. So they disappeared. The last time they were seen was on the 4th of October, Mm -hmm. and the missing persons report for both of them went out on October 5th, the following day. And on October 14th, Mind you, through this time, they are doing interviews. They are searching places that they believe. And they had gone into Annette's. They had gone and interviewed Annette's family, her Mm -hmm. mom, her stepdad, and her sister. And there's just, there's a lot of weird things about them as a family. Right. So they are not logan ohio natives they moved in that transplanted is what a lot of the they were transplants Mm -hmm. is what a lot of the locals called them because with it being such a small town they were kind of the locals were kind of just they didn't want anything to do with people who weren't from there right they were very against new people and i think that also might have had something to do with the sheriff kind of honing in on her stepdad as the main suspect because they were transplants. They were weird when they first moved there. There was a lot of talk about them being nudists or at least like partial nudists. So like some of the time they they like enjoyed just being naked (laughs) with the wilderness. But in other times they were clothed. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so there was just like a lot of weird things, not to mention the molestation accusations. Which could have very well been tied to the nudism because again on the in your backyard episode or whatever um one of the law enforcement officers talked about and again still spinning it like no well none of this stuff came out till after but talked about interviewing the stepfather dale johnston and that he was very open he's like you know because i guess they had heard that he would walk around the house naked or whatever Mm -hmm. And he was like, yeah, I come home from work, I take off all my clothes, my shoes, and I sit in a chair and I read the paper naked. Yeah. And acted like, you know, and, and the law enforcement guy was like, yeah, and he just acted like it was no big deal. Like, I was, should be okay with it. You know, and it was just, yeah, kind of weird. But Yeah. And so that, I think that is the main reason on why everybody was like, he did it. So that they believed that the motive from him was the because people were talking about the molestation and like him being jealous of her her soon to be husband and all of this 
So that seemed to be the big motive. motive. And he, for the most part, most of her family was very cooperative during the whole thing. And at one point, the whole family, well, it didn't really go into her mom's interviews, Mm -hmm. but we do know that Dale Johnston, her stepfather, was brought in for interviewing. And I believe this was after their bodies were found, but they had him basically sitting in there in his underwear interviewing him oh wow partially because they wanted to see if there were any sort of defense defense wounds on him and there were some eyewitnesses who claimed that they saw the couple with dale johnston the night that they went missing okay but we will we'll get into that a little bit yeah so they are searching and searching and searching, and finally on October 14th, which was nine days after they had last been seen, they find two torsos in a, a river, like on a riverbank. On a riverbank. So yes. the way that Logan, Ohio is, so there's a huge cornfield right out, kind of on the edge of town there, mm-hmm. and that was a very popular place for young people, of course, to go and do things because you can't be seen in the corn. And then, so one side of the cornfield kind of bordered the town, where the town yeah. kind of ended or whatever. Do you know what I mean? There yep. were houses, and then you had this just huge, huge cornfield. And then the other edge of the cornfield was on the banks of the river. Yes. So they were at the banks of the river. They look down. They see one torso washed up on shore first, and then a short time later, find a second. And they, a lot of people said that whoever did it had to be a local because their bodies were hidden too well Mm -hmm. for an outsider to have just dumped them there. And so everybody was really, like, set on it with someone here. Right. And so talk about the rest before you get into that. Yeah. Because, so they find the torsos. The torsos had been thrown into the river. Yes. And then had washed, washed back up. up on shore. Yes. It's and the other evidence that's... Yes. So two days after they find the torsos, they then find the rest of their bodies dismembered in shallow very shallow graves we're talking a couple of inches underground with the rest of their dismembered body parts the heads the arms the legs in in, the cornfield in the cornfield and they were clear that what happened was so if you know how corn is planted there's always depressions between the rows Mm -hmm. and that's where they kind of notice things so the first thing that they found was an arm Mm -hmm. and then they continued you know digging Digging and the second thing they found was it was pretty obvious from the get-go it was Annette's head. Yes. Because it had blonde hair, blue eyes. The second head they found, they this is so gruesome, but they were saying that the second head, you really couldn't tell because it was so matted with blood that mm-hmm. it wasn't immediately recognizable. Yes, and I believe they actually identified Todd's body in pieces uh, with dental records. They said both of them, actually. Mm-hmm. They did the confirmation through For medical the, and yeah. dental records. Because I'm sure you couldn't bring family, family in that. Yeah, no. So they also said that in the cornfield, there were what looked to be evidence of the fact that they were killed and dismembered in the cornfield. Okay. Now, 
there would also be some contradicting statements saying that they were killed elsewhere and then taken to the cornfield, but we'll get more into that in right. a little while. So, and the other thing that surprised me is they said that they could tell that they'd been shot with 22s, and I'm assuming mm -hmm. they probably found, you know, whatever. They had a ballistics expert yeah, go in yeah. on it. Yeah. But the first thing they said, I mean, right from the get go, was that the bodies had been dismembered with a very sharp knife or a machete. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't clear on how they made that jump, you know, because to a machete yeah. right off the bat. But. So before we go into more of the things that had happened, they had, they're more than just Dale Johnston. They did have more, some more suspects. So J Dale Johnston, for the townsmen in the cops from the town, he was their main suspect. Because he's the stepdad. Exactly. The FBI had another thought. Okay, seeing this was all left out as well. So there is a man whose name is not coming to my head right now, and I did not write it down, but he was a local butcher. Okay. And his employers had contacted the police saying that they thought that he was involved. Oh, okay. So he was also a suspect. Because he was a butcher. Exactly. Yeah, I can see. So that. he was a suspect. And it got to the point where he had ended up leaving his job and leaving town, even though he was a suspect. Mm -hmm. He finally was just like, I'm done. Yeah. And like, Bailed. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. I can understand. I mean, because they don't have enough evidence to tell him you can't leave town. Exactly. But his life is ruined mm -hmm. if people are looking at him like that. Exactly. So. And and then you again have the Satanists who are well, the people who are saying that this it was a satanic cult right. that did this. And Just because it was so gruesome. I exactly. Think. So there was also a man who had come forward saying that. Dale Johnston had shot at him while he rode his dirt bike along the edge of Dale Johnston's property. Okay. And Dale Johnston had come out and shot at him a few times and stuff like that. So around this time was when police went straight for Dale Johnston. We want to search your property. We want to search everything. Mind you, they owned... It kind of goes back and forth between 50... Two and 54, so I'm going to go straight in the middle and say 53 just to be safe. 53 acres of okay. land. And here was the other thing, too, that so shortly about 10 days after the bodies were found, they had a memorial service mm -hmm. in, that was open to the entire town. Hundreds and hundreds of people came. So much media. Except for Annette's mother and stepfather. Mm -hmm. They did not go, they didn't want to be any part of it. Mm -hmm. And that was also one of the things that started really pointing people's suspicions at them. Yes. Which again, they had another daughter. Mm -hmm. And I can kind of understand, you know, it's it, this wasn't like a family affair. This yeah. was, and you know, if they already knew these rumors were floating, it makes it more understandable. Why yeah. would you go to this huge? It's it's just a it's a publicity thing. It's exactly. not so much about the grieving. So. And there was there was a ton of media throughout this entire right. process. And despite all of that, when the police did say to Dale Johnston, "We want to search your place," he cooperated all the time. Yep. And like I said, even the story about him being naked, mm -hmm. he was completely open. He didn't try to hide anything. He was just like. Yeah, that's what I do. Now, another strange thing that happened was when the police asked for the Johnston family 
for pictures and things because that's that's what happens when mm-hmm. people go missing is they ask for things that can help them locate their daughter or their whoever's mm-hmm. missing and it was kind of just thrown out there that he gave the police nude photos of Annette now from a little more digging I think it was less I think that was more of the media twisting it to make it look worse I think it was more of like and like was she a little girl in these pictures it was, was never she older was it you know for the contemporary and see I would I assume know. that they would be older picture when she mm-hmm. older pictures of her so like while she was older instead of younger because I don't really see the point in giving police a picture of a young version of your daughter who is missing you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I think that maybe he just like gave them a stack of pictures and there happened to be a naked one in there. But if you think about them being nudists, not that weird. Right. So that was another big thing that people were like, off with his head, kind yeah. of. You know what I mean? And when they did search his property, they did find 22 bullet casings on the outskirts of his property. So the ballistics expert did make a very public note saying that Dale Johnston might be the murderer. And But again, 22s are, I mean, a dime a dozen. Right, it is so, they're so common. Mm -hmm. And there was just a lot around Dale Johnston. And... Well, and also when the police searched his property, they found a machete. Yep. Like I said, they found the 22, Mm -hmm. and so they're immediately like, oh. So, while they found the bodies, while they're they're finding the body parts, Mm -hmm. they had already found the torso, so on October 16th, when they find the dismembered pieces of the bodies, they, the police notice someone lurking, and they very quickly go up to him and are trying to figure out, like, what are you doing here? Because right now we're like in the middle of a cornfield and you're just like, we are, we're finding body parts and you're just lurking. Like, what's going on? So, this man was Kenny. I wrote down his last name. Did you? Yes. Linscott. Yes, thank you. So, Kenny Linscott, and he tells them that he, which is, this is the place where he goes to hunt and camp, or not hunt and camp, hunt and he fishes at the river and so. And he was close to their age, correct? He's close to Todd and Annette's age. Yes. So he was just there um, and then he saw the police and the sirens and stuff, so he just wanted to see what was going on. Mm -hmm. Now they also they did note that he did have a large gash on his arm, but Nothing really came of it. They're like, oh, he's just, they called him a, a water rat or something oh, like okay. that. Because yeah. that's where, that's where he did all of his stuff. And it was known that that's where he spent a lot of his time. Okay. So nothing really came of that. They didn't really look into it. So no big deal. And they are just so focused on Dale Johnston. And he is trying his hardest to be like, I didn't do this. We are not involved he went so far as he had, he, saw, he called him a friend. And his friend was a psychic. Okay. So he was like, I'm going to bring this psychic in and he's going to tell you that I had nothing to do with it. Well, didn't really work out that way because his friend, the psychic, ends up telling police, no, I think you did this. Oh my gosh. 
Yeah. So yeah, this wasn't part of anything I saw. Yeah. That's so insane. Yeah. So this psychic was like, no, I you you killed her, and you killed both of them. Like you had something to do with this. Oh my god. So that just added fuel uh-huh. to the fire, and and that's what I felt so bad about Dale for is. He, tr- he does everything you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, he cooperates. He's Everything they ask him to do, he does. Exactly. And it all turns against him. Exactly. So, later on, another psychic gets brought into the mix. Mm-hmm. And when you look her name up, which I didn't write down. I don't remember her okay. name. But when you look it up, there's not a whole lot of information about her. I really just wanted to, like, find her credentials. Yeah. <laughs> well... <laughs> She's a psychic. Exactly. So do you know what I mean there? The only thing you really find about her is it is noted somewhere that her occupation at the time was FBI psychic. Okay. So I don't know if it was like a there's like a part of the FBI that they believe that like they just have like psychics hanging out or is X-Files. it like a contract um, <laughs> <laughs> or is it just like a contract thing well where they I, just like mul- contract yeah her multiple in? multiple law enforcement agencies do have psychics that they have established contacts and relationships yep. with that they bring in repeatedly on cases yes. so that does make sense and another thought was that maybe media just kind of turned it into where like she's an FBI psychic because she got brought in from out of town and so they're like oh she's here with the FBI Mm -hmm. so like it's not really specific on how how um but she said that Dale did not have anything to do with it she was not about that so now we have two different psychics saying two different things mind you they are psychics right so (laughs) (laughs) it all kind of depends on what you believe and then we've got some eyewitnesses. A lot of people are saying different things. You've got some people saying that they saw Annette and Todd with a really old guy. Um, and that was the last time they saw him. A lot of people said that they saw Annette and Todd with Dale. There were a few people that said that they saw Annette and Todd with Dale and Annette's mother. And there was just a lot of eyewitnesses but small towns everybody's got to get involved and just kind of throw their ideas out there and it just it had gotten to the point where they finally they really just want dale to be the perpetrator Mm -hmm. and like i said they bring him in for questioning in nothing but his underwear because they want to see if there's defense wounds which i still don't believe that to be a logical reasoning to put to interrogate him which is crazy i've never heard of that like and again i have a feeling that they were like can we do this and he was like go ahead because i have nothing to hide yeah and this was a very long interrogation Mm -hmm. and i didn't i didn't i wasn't able to find anything on if annette's mom was interrogated at all and if she was how it went um but you do hear about her younger sister annette's younger sister she was 15 or 16 at this time. She also got brought in for questioning. Okay. And she was questioned for eight hours straight. Oh, my God. And by straight, I mean there were no bathroom breaks. She didn't eat anything. They were trying to break her down. And what they wanted her to tell them was they wanted her to say that Dale did it. Her and her mom knew it was happening, and she saw it all happen. That's what the cops wanted from her. Okay. And she got interviewed 
and interrogated hard for eight hours and she never cracked which is amazing because you hear you know we've talked about how so many people give false confessions exactly. under those but circumstances. Nothing. Okay. nothing. And finally, they think that they've got enough evidence. So... Well, and the one thing we also haven't talked about was they did find a boot print also near where the bodies were found. And they took a plaster cast of it. And one other thing they asked of Dale was, hey, you're always wearing cowboy boots. Can we see your boots? Mm -hmm. And at trial... They brought in a quote-unquote boot expert, which you guys all have to watch Exhibit A on Netflix because you will find out just how freaking ridiculous this whole expert thing is in court testi testifying. But anyway, and that he, he tied the boot to Dale, but he couldn't do it definitively. Exactly. And that's also another reason why we believe that the ballistics expert said that he might have done it, mm -hmm. whether that be that he had a 22 but he could the ballistics expert couldn't link the shells to the ones that killed the couple or anything of that sort so it was like he has a 22 and we found 22 so like he might have done it right it's fucking stupid so they end <laughs> up bringing dale to trial and he asks for a three panel judge trial right which was very very interesting he didn't want a jury trial which in some states you can make that request it makes a lot of sense for him though to have totally. done it that way because you already have the whole town before yep. this happened thinking you're fucking weird mm -hmm. and you're the outsider you get a you get a jury trial and you're gonna be guilty no matter what and i almost wonder if his lawyers hadn't kind of pushed him towards that decision yeah. You know, I don't know if he made it, whatever, but it was it was a smart it seemed like a smart move at the time. So another thing that they did was they tried to make it to where there would not be the death penalty involved at all. They tried to say that it was cruel and unusual punishment, which we hear quite often, but that did get denied. And ultimately this trial, which was basically made up of rumors and no real hard evidence. Quote, unquote, circumstantial evidence. Exactly. Dale Johnston was found guilty in 1984 for the murders of these two, of these two people. And he was sentenced to death by electric chair. No, by, it was lethal injection. Are you sure? That's what they said. Again, I could be wrong. Maybe it was electric chair still. I'm pretty positive it was electric chair. Okay. Like my lady, they were still using that. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, go on. So. So he, yes, he was sentenced to die by electric chair. Okay. And so he was sent to death row in 1984 and he sat there for seven years. Yep. Now, during this time, a lot happened. When he first got sentenced to prison, he, his stepdaughter, the one who is alive, I don't. I don't think I ever got her name. I don't know if her name was ever announced or put in the media. I never because saw it. she was at that point a minor. Mm -hmm. Now she got taken by child protective services. She got put into foster care, and they took her out of the county, and they put her into foster care because I be they 
in my mind, I assume that they still believed that Annette's mom had something to do with it. Right. And there was, there was just no evidence. Mind you, there was barely enough. There wasn't even any evidence to have gotten Dale Johnston no. sentenced. But so she gets taken. And now you've got Annette's mom, who at this point is just being ostracized in the town. Yep. She walks into a store. She's told to leave. She's getting dirty looks. She's getting threats. All of these things. She just lost her daughter. Her daughter is dead. She just lost her other daughter because they took her from her. And she just lost her husband. So she is going through a ton of shit. And she starts making plans. She makes a list, which when I... This makes me think of Arya from Game of Thrones because she... (laughs) Annette's mother makes a list of people involved in the community that she thinks that they killed her daughter and they are setting them up. Oh. So she makes a list of everyone she wants to kill. And she is planning a way to kind of see when the most of them will be in one place at the same time. And she is trying to figure out a plan to plant a bomb. Wow. And she wants to kill them all. See, again, I did not know any of this either. Now... Luckily for everyone on her list <laughs> and for herself, she had confided in some people. It was never specified who, but she did confide in someone saying that, like, I'm having these thoughts and these urges and, like, I want to kill these people. And she finally ended up um, turning herself into a mental hospital okay. where she kind of like a rehab facility mm-hmm. and... She did a lot of therapy. I'm assuming she did a lot of grief therapy. I was going to say, you can you so this poor woman, her daughter's been murdered and mutilated in a way that I, I can't even wrap my mind around. Mm-hmm. She's lost her other daughter. Okay. She's lost her husband. She's 100% convinced he did not do it. Mm-hmm. Her town has turned against her mm-hmm. and her family. Yep. I mean... It's not too hard to imagine. It's not. So she does, she spends about eight or nine months in this facility trying to get her shit together. And she does. And while, as soon as she, as soon as her husband gets arrested or gets put in prison once he's charged, he, they divorce. And now some people are like, oh, they divorced because she believes he's guilty, blah, blah, blah. I don't think that's the case. And it was even said that that was not the case. They divorced because Dale realized that, like, this is going to kill her. Mm -hmm. And it very well almost did. And so they divorced kind of to save her life because if she is still in any way associated with him, everyone is still going to associate them together. You know what I mean? She is guilty by association Mm -hmm. and she always will be. So they divorced. He said that he would rather her... He would rather divorce someone and them still be able to be friends than her kill herself. Right. So they divorce, and the day that her other daughter turns 18, she gets out of foster care and she goes straight back to her mom. And they both have had always stood by Dale's side, saying that he is innocent. They have always claimed his innocence. And Eventually, an appeal comes along, and he appeals his conviction. And thank God for that, because during this appeal, 
they find out that he's not actually guilty and he gets exonerated right and i think one of the key pieces of evidence that they threw out was the whole boot print nonsense mm -hmm. because that guy had no real validity at all as yeah. well as some other things but that was i think the big piece they pointed to exactly so on may 11th 1990 after serving seven years in prison um, on death row, nonetheless, which means you're very isolated. Yes. You're isolated. I believe it's 23 hours of the day. You get one hour out. It's very isolated, enough to set and make anybody fucking crazy. He gets exonerated. He gets let out. Now, we have talked, I don't remember his name, but we have talked about an exoneree before. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about how most states have a law saying that someone who is imprisoned wrongfully, wrongfully they normally get compensated for that time but ohio at the time i don't know if it's changed now or not mm -hmm. i think it has because i, think it I has. found some stuff when i was doing that research on that but. so when he got exonerated ohio very strategically had their word their law worded so that their law said that Exonerees who have been wrongfully imprisoned should and can be paid for their time lost. Mm -hmm. As of January 15th, 2019, there's a, a headline here that says lame duck passage of bill gives Dale Johnston's case new life, which is just insane. I mean, how he's got to be in his i think 70s or 80s now at least because he was 49 at the time mm -hmm. of the murders so yeah. so he didn't get paid at all mm -mm. nothing that state the state gave him nothing so he gets out of prison he doesn't have his house he doesn't have his property he doesn't have a wife he he lost everything the only thing he had was an old beat up truck that his lawyer gave him that's all he had over something he did not do. Fucking bonkers. Mm -hmm. Pisses me off. Now, granted, when I first started, list, I, I had listened to a podcast quite a while ago. I think it was probably about a year, year and a half ago that I had heard about this case. And as I was listening to it, I was like, oh, no doubt he did this. Mm -hmm. No fucking doubt he did it. And then I start digging and digging and I'm like, there's no way he fucking did this. There's no way. Now, we're going to jump ahead a couple of years. And we're going to go to 2007. And 2007, a woman named Judith Linscott is doing a... She has, she has a meeting with her probation officer. And while there, she starts telling her probation officer, like, I think that my ex-husband might have had something to do with the murder mm -hmm. of Annette and Todd. And this would be, her, I don't know if any of you remember the last name, Lynn Scott, but her ex-husband, his name was Kenneth Lynn Scott, mm -hmm. Kenny. And... He was a well-known criminal. He There was a burglary. And, a huge burglary yeah, ring huge. that he'd been involved in. Exactly. 
And it was said that Judith had said, like, I think that they were at my house the night that they went missing. Mm -hmm. And she had said that it was her, her husband at the time, Kenny, and a well-known drug dealer in Mm -hmm. the area. And then Todd and Annette. And it was said that Todd and Annette had showed up because they wanted to buy, like, a little bit of weed and have a couple of beers and just, like, hang out. Which is, like, cool. You do what you do. You know what I mean? Right. And that she said that she, they had left and that she heard screams but and gunshots, but that was it. And she never really questioned it after that. But she also said that her husband had come home with this giant gash on his arm. Mind you, the cops talked to this man with a giant gash on his mm-hmm. arm. And sure enough, they do some digging. They talk to Kenny And they're trying to find out who this mystery drug dealer is. Right. And even so, his wife did have a name, Mm -hmm. Chester, but she did not know the last name. All she could remember was Chester. Exactly. So they're trying to figure out who this Chester person is, who we later find out has the nickname Chester the Molester, which tells you a lot. Gives you about yes. enough information yes. as you need. You don't really need much after that. Mm-hmm. So he is a well-known drug dealer and molester. Right. And Kenny is questioned. And he said that he got the gash on his arm from, like, breaking a glass door. Or yeah, glass that he had a store door and it had broken and yeah. the glass had gotten him. Just a bunch of bullshit. Well, he ends up telling them about Chester and who Chester is. And they find out that Chester is currently in prison for other things. And his name is Chester McKnight. Yes. So he was arrested for a lot of different sex crimes. Molestation, clearly, because Chester the molester. And that's why he's in prison. Exactly. So he was in prison when they found him. And when police went to talk to him, he almost immediately confessed. Well, and he had written a letter, too. Because, like I said, that was the one thing in... The thing that I, I, you know, was reading is that they interviewed Kenny and he mm-hmm. basically wouldn't give anything up. And then they get this letter from this Chester McKnight who's ser- serving time. Mm-hmm. And he basically says, I did this horrible thing and I need to get it off my chest. See, that's weird because I never heard anything about a letter. See, from what I under, what I had caught uh-huh. on from all my sources was that Kenny told them who Chester was. And Kenny gave them his whole name. Okay. And they found him in prison, and when they questioned him, he's like, I killed them. Okay. So, his, mind you, Chester's stories changed a lot. Okay. But at the same time, you have to think that this their murder happened in 1982, mm-hmm. and when they found um, Chester and Kenny, when they were interviewing them about everything... That wasn't until, I believe, end of 2007, early 2008, somewhere around there. So that's a lot of time. So you have to think about the fact about how much time has gone between on maybe that might be why his story's changing every so often because maybe he just kind of forgot. Right. And so what the story was, was that Todd and Annette had gone to, um, had gone to Kenny's house Chester was there. They were buddies. They had been drinking all day. They had been smoking weed, just partying, doing their own thing. And the two had, the couple had shown up. They wanted to buy some weed, just kind of hang out. And Chester decided 
that he wanted to have sex with Annette. Not only did he want to have sex with her, he wanted to rape her. And Kenny seemed to be all for it. He was down. Mm -hmm. And so they follow the couple into the field. And Kenny has his gun. Now, this is kind of where stories get a little mixed up. There's some details that change a little bit. Now, from what I understand, Kenny has his 22 on him because he usually did. They're in a small town. They're in the middle of nowhere. They're, people are going to carry. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So Kenny has his 22, and Chester tells Kenny, we're going to rape her, but you need to make sure that the boyfriend doesn't try to interfere, and if he does, kill him. Okay. So they go to rape her. Todd obviously is going to try to save his fiance mm-hmm. and get shot. Mind you, they were both shot. Ooh, that's not right. Six so, times. I, I I never heard a number. Just I just heard several. Several. Okay, so they were both shot quite a few. No, I don't. Six was the amount of mm-hmm. holes dug for the body body parts. So maybe that was it. But they were both shot numerous times. Right. And Chester kind of took the fall for everything. Mm -hmm. He said that he killed both of them. Mind you, his stories did change. So one story is that Kenny killed Todd, but then Chester killed Annette after raping her. And there was also um, talk about Chester masturbating over Annette's dead body before they dismembered her. Oh, God. And it was also said that Kenny held the limbs of Annette while and Todd as they had dismembered them mm-hmm. and it was said that Chester had slipped while cutting their body cutting their body parts sorry this is so gruesome mm-hmm. talking about chopping people's bodies up but there's no real nice way to say that they cut their limbs off you know what i mean yeah so while Chester was dismembering them he at some point slipped and cut Kenny's arm open, okay. which is where this mysterious gash on his arm came from. And they they did use a machete to cut the cut their bodies open and apart and stuff. And so the ending of this makes me really angry. So they did confess. Yes. Well, the only like you said, so Chester Ch- confessed. Chester confesses, and that he sh- that. He, Ultimately, his confession that doesn't change is that he shot both of them. Yes. And just that Kenny Linscott, Kenneth Linscott, helped him dispose of the bodies, basically. Yeah. So, like we said, stories changed. And we were talking about this a little bit in our break. It may be because... Chester was already in prison for a... I believe he already had one life sentence I, on it, him. It was pretty long. Yeah, I don't know exactly. He may have been already... Because he, he had a really long mm-hmm. sheet already of yes. all kinds of, you know, pretty violent sex sexual offenses. So. Yes. So, I believe he already had a life sentence on him. So, we were curious... On if maybe they had cut a deal between the two of them, since Chester was already going to be in prison for basically the rest of his life, that he would take the fall for everything. So then, because Kenny here's w- the thing, both of them sat there and watched Dale Johnston and and his family 
go through what they went through. They watched Dale Johnston get sentenced to death for what they had done. They watched him serve seven years of that Senate. Do you know what I mean? So all of that they knew. Yeah. So I was correct. They did both. uh, It said that Chester fired six bullets into Todd Schultz. And I saw the other thing, too, about the... What he did over her body. Yes. Ugh. So it said that he shot six bullets into him, including two in the head and neck. And then he, during that time, Kenny Lynn Scott had gone to get his machete. And that was when they had stripped the bodies down and Chester was masturbating over Annette's body. Now, it's so it's, very oh that makes me so angry i can't I know. even like Ooh. i know so chester cuts a deal well they both cut deals mm-hmm. chester ends up getting he confesses pleads guilty he gets a life sentence with no possibility of parole for, for 20, 20 years. years yes now kenny also takes a plea deal and where he will uh plead guilty to abuse Mullet. abuse of a corpse, corpse. And this is what pisses me off. I just want to remind you that Dale Johnston served seven years on death row for a murder he did not commit. He got no compensation whatsoever. He got out. He lost everyone in his life. He lost everything. The only thing this man had to his name was a truck that his lawyer gave him. Seven years and then loses everything for a murder he did not commit. Now... Kenny, uh, why do I keep forgetting? Kenneth Lynn Scott. Why do I can't? Why can't I remember it's a Lynn weird Scott? Name. It is so. Kenny Lynn Scott pleads guilty to well plea deal, but ends up pleading guilty to abuse of a corpse. And all in all, this man has to serve ten months in prison, and that is it. Ten months. How does a man who confessed to being a part of this get 10 months? And knew, in, knew about it, helped cover it up. Well, an all innocent of that man stuff. got seven and, and years. He, and he didn't even get 10 months because he'd already been in jail mm-hmm. at the time. And they just gave him time served. Yes. So How? Yeah. So, I mean, technically, there was no real sentence for what he admitted to. Exactly. And done. Oh, it makes me that so angry. And, and even... The other one, um, Chester, the fact that he could get parole after 20 years. Granted, he'd probably be 70-something, but still. Yeah. So, he, so Kenny did serve 10 more months after his sentencing. Oh, did he? Okay. He did. But he did get released after 10 months. Okay. But, piss me off. And, it just, I can't imagine now one of the the sheriff the current sheriff who was deputy sheriff at the time of the murders he had commented saying for 26 years i lived with believing dale johnston was a perpetrator of this crime but now i'm satisfied that chester and kenny are the real perpetrators and dale had no part of these crimes it's easy to look back on what happened then versus what we know now. Looking back now, we can see what we should have that we should have done things a lot differently. Are you fucking kidding me? 
I am sorry. I know you were just deputy. You probably didn't have a lot of say in it at the time. But, like, how are you going to make a fucking comment like that? After, do something. Here's the thing, though, too. I mean, first of all, granted, everybody makes mistakes. Okay, we'll give you that. Yes. Even police. Police fuck up all the time. Right. But, but, But that's the point, is that as a police officer, as a law enforcement officer, as a doctor, as a teacher, I don't care what it is. You have to address everything that crosses your path with an open, questioning mind. You cannot bring, like, every kid who walks through my door, I can't say, well, I knew your older brother, or I know about your sister, or you, I don't like what you're wearing, you just look like trouble. You know, none of that is appropriate. Yep. You have to deal with the facts at hand as they reveal themselves. And this idea of going in with a presupposed narrative is absolutely deadly. Yeah. And I think it's bullshit. It pisses me off. Because if you go back to the Colorado case when Maria and I and my dad had done a couple of episodes, he, my dad made a comment that our justice system is the best in the world. But then you see things like this happen and then it gets questioned. You know, everything in America is the best in the world, and I'm becoming quite cynical about that, but yeah. that's another story. But, and I mean, it's, he's not the only person I've heard say things like that about our justice system. Granted, we do have a fairly decent justice system for the most part, and it's just, it fucking pisses me off. I don't think it would make me as mad if Dale Johnston got something. Mm-hmm. If he... And granted, the compensation, which we learned with the last exoneree that we had talked about, we learned that it's not a lot. It was very pathetic, but it was something. But at least give this man, like I said, he's still fighting it. As Mm -hmm. of January 2019, Mm -hmm. he still has received nothing. Exactly. And it's bullshit. And he's 84. Yeah. Makes me angry. All right. This case pissed me off. Me too. There's a lot of things you didn't know about, though. I know. Well, and it, like I said, that's what's so frustrating. And I think, you know, I've mentioned this before. Is like I look at different sources just with my own cases. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, now which one seems like it's got the most credibility? Mm-hmm. And this one I went with what I thought was probably, okay, this is probably pretty credible. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's, they, they've hopefully, you would assume when they put together a TV show like that, that they have looked at multiple strands and layers. But now I'm sitting here thinking, mm, maybe not. And like I said, Exhibit A on Netflix has messed with my mind and made me, que- like honestly, watch it. It will just make you question everything you think you know. Yeah. It's incredibly frustrating and you won't find nice, happy, easy answers. Most of the cases at the end you're like, ah, I don't, you know, but it's it's it, it, it's a very clear call to all the ways that we need to do better. Yeah, it's it's nuts. I'm I'm really glad we ended up deciding on this case. Me too, because we did have another case that we talked about a little bit, and that then <laughs> we talked earlier today, and I apparently forgot that we've already done Indiana because I was like, we'll just do Indiana next week, and then can't do that because we've already done Indiana. But there was another case that we had talked about a little bit, and the I-70 Strangler, who worked 
I say worked, he killed in both Indiana and And Ohio, Ohio. but most of it was in Indiana, and I believe he was convicted in Indiana. Mm -hmm. So we kind of veered off away from that one, even though that one's fucking nuts, too. I don't know if you've ever looked into more than what you did today. Yeah, I was pretty surface, and I know I've heard some stuff in the past, Mm -hmm. but that crazy if you guys i might we might do a bonus episode on it one day because it's fucking bonkers, bonkers. and that might be a fun one well to especially because everyone knows about jeffrey dahmer which is the mm-hmm. very and that's the other thing when we were doing our research ohio has a lot of serial killers a lot and then a lot of other crazy like you know that's where the women were kidnapped and held in the basement you've got the cleveland torso murders from mm-hmm. the 1930s you've got I mean, there's a lot of bonkers, bonkers, crazy, psycho stuff in Ohio. And it ate the wholesome Midwest. Right. Tell you that right now. It was, yeah. So next week, we are off to Rhode Island. Mm -hmm. And we, just kidding, make sure you go (laughs) join our Facebook discussion group. Uh, follow us on Instagram and maybe Twitter, depending on if Elena, if Elena's ever going to get her shit together on there. Granted, I can't talk much about it either because I'm not doing too hot on Instagram. So Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. If you are listening on an Apple product, make sure you go into your Apple podcast and rate and review us. Yes, shout outs to Cheryl and Jenna and everyone else who's posted in our uh, Facebook discussion group. We very much appreciate you. Cheryl had also been watching Exhibit A. And- yeah. If any of you are ever like curious about the discussion group and are like, oh, this is going to be too much, honestly, there's just a lot of memes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that It's either like they're talking about the cases that we've just talked about or there's just a lot of true crime exactly. memes. And we yes. enjoy it. It's a nice little uplifting kind of breath of fresh air yes. away from the brutality of most of what we talk about so make sure you do that and again like or not like i don't know <laughs> rate and review us on apple podcast because it helps us out too so thanks for listening see you next time